1 Peter chapter 5, read with me verses 1 through 11. Now Peter's addressing elders, shepherds, pastors, but it applies to all of us, the things that he's saying here. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1, the elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, For he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, I pray that you would cause your word to go into our hearts, to go into our very minds, God, and renew and transform us and conform us to the very image of the Son of God. We pray that your church, we pray for Christ's fellowship, that she would be a light amongst the darkness, dispelling darkness, making manifest the life of Christ, that others would find and know the only hope we have in life and death, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Grace flows to the low. Like rain, grace flows down. A flood of grace like a flood of water flows to the lowest point and settles there having touched everything in its path and eventually bringing new life. I want you to think about the floods that took place here just this past Monday when the entire U.S. Highway 79 was underwater, the airport was flooded, hangars were flooded, planes were destroyed, the restaurant had four feet of water in it, houses all over various parts of town were inundated with water, the very neighbors across the street had two feet of water in their house and lost most of their possessions. And what was all that water doing? That water was coming down and it was all flowing together to the lowest point. That's what water does. Water flows downhill. Water finds the lowest point, the path of least resistance, and it settles there. So like rain, grace can bring life and it can bring destruction. Now we don't think of that 
very often. We don't think of grace bringing destruction. But I want you to hang with me because I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take God's word for it. And if we don't understand these things, we're not going to be able to handle the world that we live in. If we don't understand that God works in and through everything and we sit here and try to make sense of everything and put it in the categories that we want it to fall into, we're going to have a really hard time reconciling who God is with the world that we live in and the things that happen all around us. So like rain, grace can bring life and it can bring destruction. When God pours out his grace in a flood, it often brings both. God in his grace will bring a humbling to those he loves even allowing destruction to come, that they may experience the newness of his life in the fullness of his love. I want you to never forget that. That even when God brings a flood of grace and it looks like destruction, God is always bringing newness of life in the fullness of his love. That can be fearful, and that is why we must know him and see him and experience his love in the glory that he has revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Remember the greatest tragedy, the greatest crime to ever take place was the murder of the Son of God. Yet through the murder of the Son of God, God brought forth the greatest redemption and the greatest life that we could ever experience. And we must make that love and glory known to others through our very own lives. We do that by his grace. His grace flows down, it flows to the low and fills all the voids and it brings new life. So James writes these words, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives more grace. He gives more grace to the humble. Therefore, he says in verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Our humility will bring a flood of grace. Are you listening? Our humility will bring a flood of grace or God will bring a flood of grace to humble us. God's humility will bring, our humility will bring a flood of grace or God will bring a flood of grace to humble us. Either way, it is a work of his love that brings a work of his grace to our lives so that he can raise us up in Christ. We must not despise how God chooses to do that but we must trust him. So Brittany is here. She was a victim of the flood. And what we need to pray for Brittany, what we need to encourage Brittany, not that she just gets all of her stuff back, but in the midst of this, she trusts God. Even though in the natural, it might not make much sense that I just experienced the grace of God and the love of God by losing everything in the flood. That doesn't compute up here. But this is exactly what the Bible is telling us. This is our God. He sits enthroned above the flood. That's why I read Psalm 29 as our call to worship. He sits enthroned above the flood. That was the flood in Noah's day. That was the flood last Monday. 
He sits enthroned above the flood. Trust him. Whether you were a victim of the flood or whether you just witnessed the flood, we all are desperately in need to trust him. Whether you still have all your stuff and it's high and dry or whether you're trying to figure out how you're going to get all your stuff replaced because it was destroyed in the water. Do you understand that? Our circumstances might be different, but our need is just the same. We need the grace of God. We need to trust this God who sits enthroned above the flood, who sits enthroned above everything. He sits enthroned above ISIS. Don't think ISIS sits above God. ISIS does not sit above God. God sits above. He's enthroned above ISIS. And ISIS, if they do not come to repentance... Their end will be far, far worse than anyone's end at, at the hands of their blades or their cruelty. Either way, God brings a work of grace in his love. So grace oftentimes is disguised as destruction. Did you know that? Grace is disguised as destruction. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 45. And while you're finding that, let me read to you Amos chapter 3 verse 6. Amos writes this, If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Don't think God was asleep on Memorial Day 2015 and the devil was able to sneak by him and cause the flood to come to Taylor, Texas. That's not what happened. God was well aware of the flood. On Monday, he's well aware of what's taking place today on Sunday. So Isaiah chapter 45, let me begin in verse 1. And we're going to read a little bit of history here, okay? For the nation of Israel. But I want you to listen very closely. I'm going to give you a name. The name Cyrus. Cyrus was the name of a Persian king. The Medes and the Persians. He was actually a Mede. Cyrus was a real person in history. He was not a Christian. <laughs> he was a pagan king. I want you to listen to what God says. Isaiah 45, verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron i will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that i the lord who called you by name am the god of israel for jacob my servant's sake and israel my elect in other words, God's saying, I'm doing this. I'm holding your hand. I'm doing what I'm doing with you for Jacob, my servant's sake, and for Israel, my elect. Hear, O Israel. Paul says, not all are Israel who are of Israel, but those who are of faith. Paul says, if you are, you are the seed of Abraham, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, for there is no longer Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, 
know, black or white or brown or yellow or red or rich or poor, but we are one in Christ. God is doing this for his for the sake of his elect. I even called you by your name. I have named you though you have not known me. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you through though you have not known me. That they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting. That there is none beside me. Do you know that church? That from the rising of the sun to its setting, there is none beside our God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Look at verse 7, listen. For I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Don't buy into this false gospel that says God doesn't do bad things. Listen, God does his work and his work, whether we think it's bad or not, his work is always good. So here's what you need to understand. When God brings calamity, it's good because God brought it and he has a good purpose in it. When God brings a flood, we call it good even though there's destruction because God's got a purpose in it. What's the enemy's purpose in it? The enemy's purpose is to destroy you. But remember the words of Joseph, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What you meant for evil, brothers, God meant for good. What the devil means for evil, guess what? God means for good. I hate that Gatana had to go through the persecution that he went through. But I love the fact that God used it to bring him to America and he's sitting here with me right now. I don't understand that, but that's exactly what God did. I, the Lord, do all these things. Rain down, you heavens, from above. Huh. You think that's an accident? That's ironic, isn't it? Rain down, you heavens from above. And let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation. And let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Hallelujah. Grace is often disguised as destruction. That statement is disturbing if you do not know the God of grace who does all these things. It is disturbing if you do not know that he does all in his grace and for his glory. We must know that in his grace and in his glory he holds the good that he brings and works in all things and for all who love him and are the called according to his purpose. That is the very promise of Romans 8.28. Isaiah in these verses gives us a graphic picture of how God works by his grace through all things, through men that he raises up that do not even know him, yet he holds them by the hand and he takes them through history and he causes them to do things and they don't even realize that it is the very God who sits sovereign over everything that is causing them to do it. 
The next time you see ISIS on the news and you're fretting over it, you need to pray that God would destroy it. Yes, destroy it. But you need to also understand that God is sovereign over it and he will. He will bring about his judgment. He will do it. Verse 4 in Isaiah 45 teaches us that God does this for the sake of his elect. He works by his grace in all things for the sake of his elect, for the sake of those who love him and who are the called according to his purpose. God brings destruction, but we must not see only the destruction. We must see his grace. When calamity comes to the city, don't look to the calamity. Look to the God of grace who brought the calamity and trust that he knows why he brought the calamity. If you're sitting here today trying to figure out why he brought the flood to Taylor, just stop. But know that he brought it. And know that his word says that he is working good in all things. Brittany, I want you to know God is working good even in your situation. And the thing is, we need to all believe it and trust in it. Even if we're looking from afar, the things that have happened. When people experience destruction and devastation, there is a humbling that takes place. It is in that low place of humility that God's grace will flow. Why? Because grace is like water. It flows to the lowest point. That's why God says he resists the proud, those who lift themselves up, who exalt themselves, but he gives more grace to the humble. And this is why it is so important for God's people to see the work of God's grace in everything and to discern God's grace in the difficulty of destruction or calamity or loss. In that place of humbling, there is a grace present for people not always there. It is to be It should be that way always. I mean, we shouldn't have to experience, and we don't have to experience calamity to experience God's grace. We don't have to experience calamity to be humbled. This is why the Bible says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. But you look at a nation, for instance, and you see that we we very often see nations exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. And guess what the love of God does? The love of God will cause that nation to be humbled. And guess what? There are good people who are humbled under the mighty hand of God who are praying on behalf of that nation and the people of that nation saying, God, grant us repentance. And guess how God often answers our prayer? He often answers our prayer that we would would experience his repentance because God comes and he humbles a nation. He humbles a people. And the people of God who were praying that repentance would come need to understand that the calamity God might bring is the very answer to their prayer that will bring the humility and the grace and the window of opportunity for the people of God to manifest the love of Christ and to those that might have been not open to it before a calamity came. Don't think that God won't bring calamity to this nation. He has He is, and he will continue to do it, not because he hates us, but because he wants. He wants his elect. He wants his people. 
to experience his grace, his goodness. He wants those that don't know his grace and his goodness yet to come to know it. And it may be that this flood of grace is what it takes for some to have their eyes open and their hearts broken. And they finally come to God and they cry out to him and they come to know his grace and his mercy. So we need to, we need to learn to recognize the doors opened by God for us to do his work. Peter is addressing shepherds or pastors, but it applies to all of us. We go back to 1 Peter. Go back there. So he says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. So he says, to God's people who are called to shepherd and to serve, that we are to shepherd and to serve eagerly. We need to be present to do that. You need to be present in the lives of your neighbors, in the lives of your friends. We need to be present in this community and eagerly serve the work of God and the will of God. We need to be present in the lives of others so that we can walk with them and walk before them. We need to do this eagerly. God's people are called to be examples to one another. Shepherds are called to be examples to the flock, but the flock is called to be an example to one another. I need to be an example to you, but you need to be an example to one another. And we need to be examples to our community and to the world at large. They need to see Christ in us so that they too can have the hope of glory. God's people must be submissive to the will of God and to one another in his work. We're called to be submissive to our elders, those who rule over us spiritually, but we are all called to be submissive to one another in the fear of the Lord. God's people are called to cast their cares on him, knowing that he cares for you. How is the world going to know how to cast their cares on Jesus if the church does not lead by example and show them there is a God that you can cast your cares upon and he cares for you. God's people are to be sober and vigilant because we have a real enemy, a real adversary that roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But Christian, you need to know that he cannot devour you. But you are to be a witness and to an example of those out there who he is devouring right now. There are people being devoured right now by fear, by wet worry and by stress. People who are being devoured, their peace is being devoured, their joy is being devoured, their very lives are being devoured because they don't know what to do. They don't know who to go to. That doesn't, we don't have to have a flood for that to happen. Do you realize that? People live in that place every day of their lives. And you can look at people on the outside and you might think they look totally normal, totally happy, totally fine, but you don't know what's happening on the inside. You can't see into their heart. You can't read their mind. And that person walking around that looks like they're on top of the world might feel like the very weight of the world is on top of them. 
And this is why we as believers, we need to be examples of these things. Those people that we think are okay need to be able to look at our life and see that we can cast our cares on a God who cares for us. God's people are to have the assurance of his hope always that after you have suffered a while, God will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. God's people need to know that they are called to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Listen, suffering is relative, but we all suffer to some degree. We don't all suffer the same things and in the same ways. We're not in Syria right now. We're not in Somalia right now suffering in ways that we could be. But our brothers and our sisters are. And the same promise applies to us. This isn't just to people that are getting their heads cut off by militants. This is the promise of God that after you have suffered a while, he will perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. Whatever you're suffering right now, this is the hope you have in Christ. Don't compare your suffering to someone else's suffering. Don't diminish your suffering because of someone else's, but don't minimize and don't take for granted the blessing that you might not be suffering the same fate that others are. By the blessing of geography, we're in America instead of some other places we could be. But the Bible says we are all one body. And part of our body is suffering. And they're suffering in many different ways. Here in Taylor, we have an opportunity. There are many who are suffering because they've experienced a flood. They've lost possessions. They've been displaced from their homes. There's the uncertainty and the unknown factor has been magnified in their life. It's always there for us. We live with the unknown always. But sometimes things happen and now the unknown has been magnified. Peter says this is what should be happening with God's people. We should have this hope. We should know these things. We should do these things. We need to do this. Cast your cares. We need to do this. Humble yourselves. We need to do this. We need to resist the devil steadfast in the faith. We need to know what? We need to know God's hope. We need to know that he cares for us. We need to cast our cares. Do that. Do it knowing that he cares for you. So I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to be God's people who walk through a door that God has opened by sending a flood of his grace to Taylor, Texas. I've spent most of, well, since, since Thursday, I've pretty much been dealing, fortunately, God's given me the grace to be able to do that. You guys enable me to serve this community in a way that I could not if I was not able to be a full-time pastor. And because God has given great grace, I don't know if you realize this, there's lots of complaining about our community, but do you know most of our community leaders are professed believers? These men 
not only pray, but they welcome our prayers. We pray with them. We talk with them about the Lord. They know that they can't leave the city without God's help. They don't want to leave this city without God's help. We are so blessed here. Most people don't even realize it because most people don't even operate in that realm. They're not thinking about God. They're not thinking about spiritual things. But I'm telling you, the church today, that we are blessed people. We live in a city with good leaders who are open, who want the church to come in. They want, this is why we're having this picnic today at 2 o'clock. Our city manager is going to be there. Our fire chief is going to be there. Our, our police chief is going to be there. There's going to be city leaders there. These are all men who welcome the prayers of the church, who welcome the church into the community to work in the community. They, they want us here. They embraced us with open arms and said, would you please help the flood victims? Can the churches come together and can we all work? They need the church. They need faith in God. I mean, our city is inviting us to do this. Now, how is the church going to respond? How are we going to respond? That's the question. This is my challenge to you today. This is why I said this is an important message for us today. Because God has opened a window of opportunity, literally through a flood of grace, for the church to walk through that door, to walk through that opening, and literally be the manifestation of Jesus to the lives of scores of people who are devastated right now. The question is, how is the church going to respond to that? How is the church in Taylor going to respond? How is Christ's fellowship specifically, how are we going to respond? This is our challenge, church. We have an opportunity as the church to reach into the lives of families that have invited us by God's grace to walk with them through their recovery from the floods that God sent in His grace. These are people that have already said, I want the church walking with me. This is, they're making this really easy. Austin Disaster Relief Network, they do the intake with these people and they ask them a specific question. Do you want to be sponsored by a church? Do you want a church to walk with you through your complete recovery? And for those families that said yes, guess what? The church needs to step up. There needs to be families that will walk with them because they've said, I want the church to walk with me. Many of these families don't have churches. They don't go to church on a regular basis. But because of their need right now, they're not thinking about what they don't do. They're just thinking, I need help. Oh, somebody wants to help me? The church? Sure. Yeah, I need help. So you see, this is a window of opportunity that God has created. God created this. The enemy might have meant it for evil, but I'm telling you what, God created an opportunity for the church to step into this community, to do more than talk about it on Sunday morning, to, to do more than pray about it in our prayer closets. God's created an opportunity for the church to actually walk out into our community and manifest the life and the love and the heart of Jesus to people who are saying, yes, I want that. Now, they might not know what they're asking for, and that's fine. But we don't want to just get them back in a house and, and get them, you know, nice things that are dry and don't stink anymore. What we want to do is introduce them to Jesus. We want to manifest Jesus. We want to be an example of Jesus to them. And through this process of getting them back in a home, what we want to do is, 
is pray and hope and believe that they will come to know Jesus Christ in a real way, that they will be saved, not just from a flood of water, but they will be saved from the wrath of God that they will experience one day if they leave this earth, if they depart this earth, never having known Jesus. And we are carriers of the gospel. We carry the presence of God. We carry the good news. We talk about it, but I'm telling you what, church, talk is cheap. We got to quit talking about it. We, this is God's, God's given us an opportunity to not just talk about it, but to walk it out. We need to talk about it. That's why we talk about it every Sunday. That's why we talk about it in Bible study. That's why we talk about it on Facebook. That's why we talk about it everywhere we can. So that when the opportunity comes to actually put feet to our faith, we're ready to do it. Well, the opportunity has come. This will require a great commitment from all of us. It's a commitment of time. It's a commitment of your talents. It's a commitment to love unconditionally and to serve faithfully as the physical expression of Christ to a lot of people in our community. This is a commitment that we should be making already every day. We, don't, we shouldn't have to have a disaster to make us conscious of this. But you know what? God knows what we need. He knows what the victims need and he knows thus who we say, well, I'm not a victim of the flood. Yeah, in the sense we all are. And whether we call ourselves a victim or not, here's the reality. We need Jesus. Whether we know it or not, we need Jesus. God in his grace has opened a window of grace and is working not only in the lives of those victims of the flood, but in the lives of those who will serve them and be to them examples of Christ. He's working in our city and community leaders who are looking at a distance at what the church is doing. And they're surveying and they're, they, they hear, you realize this, the world, our leaders hear the rhetoric of the church and they're looking to see if the church can back up her rhetoric. This is why James writes what he writes. And he says, faith without works is dead. We talk about faith all day long, but when are we going to show our faith through our works? I want you to see the grace of God. God has opened a window of grace for us to be able to show our faith through our works. He's really made it very easy for us in this, in this circumstance. So let's not squander this opportunity to let his grace flow through our lives into this community. Let us rise up. Let us rise to the occasion and watch his grace flow. Well, Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. That God, the word says that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, Lord, for your grace that flows like rain, that flows like water, that flows like a flood into the hearts and the lives of your people and into as many as will receive your grace in this community. Be glorified in your church, we pray, Lord. Be glorified at Christ Fellowship. Be glorified at all the local expressions of your body here in Taylor, Texas. Be glorified in this community, God, through your people. 
Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. We pray this for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.